sometimes sales can just feel icky. Like, have you ever started a conversation with someone and things were going great and then bam, comes the sales pitch. And from there on, the rest of the conversation can just feel awkward and forced. Not only does it suck to be on the receiving end of an unwanted sales pitch, but it can also be uncomfortable when it comes time for you to make a pitch. But you got to pay those bills, right? Today's guest is here to help you take the pressure out of sales and build a sales process that converts consistently without needing to feel salesy. Dr. Nadia Brown is a sales strategist, consultant, trainer, and founder of the Doyen Agency. She works with business owners, companies, and corporate sales teams using the consistent sales method. And on top of all of that, she is the author of the best-selling book, Selling Like a Lady. Dr. Nadia brings over 15 years of leadership experience helping people achieve their sales goals while respecting people and our relationships with them. Dr. Nadia's clients have seen real results and I am so excited to dig into this conversation with her because guess what? You can be in business and make money in a way that respects people and your relationships with them. What Dr. Nadia has to say might surprise you, and in the very least, it's going to leave you feeling a lot less icky about selling. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Dr. Nadia. Welcome to the show. I am really excited to learn how to sell like a lady from you today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's start by talking a little bit about how you ended up here. How does a person go from A to writing books about how to sell? Well, when you start a business and you realize that you hate selling, but (laughs) you need to sell in order to grow your business, you're like, okay, I need to figure it out. And through that process, one of the things that I wanted to help other women with, because I found that I wasn't alone in that, was like, there is a way to sell. There's a way to sell that feels good to you, but it's also effective. Yeah. So did you start in entrepreneurship and then recognize for yourself that selling didn't make you feel good? Or how did you come to this, I guess, area of expertise? Yeah. So I guess I started in entrepreneurship. I was doing leadership training and coaching. And it was just the inconsistency, the up and down in revenue. Usually it was some revenue or none. Like, you know, up and down is always relative, right? And through that process, I realized that I don't like sales. I was like, if I can just have the conversation, if I put it out there, then people would just automatically want to come to me and buy without me having to ask. And I quickly realized that that was not the case. And through different trainings, I just found like what I was being taught to do in order to become better at it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. It didn't align. And therefore I wasn't doing it. But the only person I was hurting was myself. And so I had to figure out how to do this. Or I was just like, I need to pack it up and just go back and get a job. 
Yeah. And I think it's a really good point that you bring up because I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening right now that completely relate to the fact that they got into entrepreneurship because they were passionate about a thing. And that thing definitely, in most cases, was not selling. And so you sort of find yourself in this place where you're like, hang on, this is a step I can't skip. I mean, in some cases, maybe you can outsource selling, but in the early stages of entrepreneurship, your margins are precious and your revenue is precious and your cash flow is precious. So it's one of those things that I think is a little bit overlooked until you find yourself in a position where like it's do or die. Like you said, if I don't figure out how to sell and get comfortable with it, then this is over. So That's why you're here today is to help listeners who may find themselves in that position optimize their selling ability without feeling like icky or salesy or like you're annoying people or you're asking for something out of turn. So thank you for bringing your expertise with us today. Why don't we dive into it? Let's find out how we can sell without feeling icky about it. Yes. One of the things that, you know, I teach people is One, to just stop selling. Because when you think about it, you and I are having a conversation. No one's feeling awkward or weird. It's just flowing naturally. But if we were to suddenly say this is a sales conversation, then typically it's like it gets weird or it could get awkward or now I'm sweating. (laughs) It's like, why? And it was just like realizing and learning through that process that it really is a conversation. And a lot of us leverage inbound marketing techniques. So people are raising their hands. They're giving you of their time to at least learn about more about what it is that you do and how you serve. And so our job is to connect and to really find out, you know, what is that connection? Can I really serve you? Can I really help you? Do I really want to? Because that's another piece. We can pick our clients. And sometimes it's just like, it's just not a energetic match or a personality match and that's okay. But I think that it's important that we really start to think about sales as more of a conversation and a connection versus just get the credit card. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. And I think a lot of times that's where we get hung up. We're just two in our heads about, I got to get a credit card. I got to get a credit card. I got to get a credit card. And it's like, no, you have to connect and you're leading them and guiding them to a buying decision. And sometimes the answer is no. And that's the best answer. Yeah, because it probably saves a lot of heartache. I know I myself am no stranger to having said yes to an opportunity where it didn't necessarily work out for either of us. I put in way more time, charged less money. And before you know it, you're into this like negative downward spiral doubting all of your decisions when really if you just said no, (laughs) you could have avoided it all. So I love that. So basically, it's a conversation. Don't identify it as a sales call. And when you said that, I immediately thought that's brilliant because as soon as somebody uses the word sales, say if I'm a potential customer in that scenario, I start to feel resistant because I'm afraid, what if I want to say no and I feel like I'm in this awkward position and I really suck at saying no and you know, what if we kind of start spiraling into this place where I'm buying something I don't want? And so I think that we all kind of feel a little shy when the word sales comes up. But also, I really love the point that you made that it's really a two-way street. It's not one way. You're deciding as a vendor to say yes, just as much as your customer is. Yep, absolutely. And I think too, I love when you talked about just us and no, especially women. Sometimes not every client or prospect you speak to is necessary, but sometimes that you're finding that is a trend, especially depending on what it is that you're selling, give them permission. Even in the beginning, you know, we're having a conversation about 
if we're a good fit to work together. And if either of us feels like it's not a good fit, we have permission to say no. And it's okay. Like, I'm not going to be offended. I don't expect you to be offended and to just get that out there. Because sometimes I've been there totally guilty where I felt like pressured when I, I was a customer, felt pressured, like, oh my gosh, if I say no, how's that going to affect our relationship or anything like that? And it's just like, no, just put it out there. It's okay. I won't be offended. I will be fine. We will still be besties if that's the case, you know, but sometimes the correct answer really is no. And I think we need to talk more about that and acknowledge that in the sales process. Yes, absolutely. And sales doesn't necessarily need to equate to pressure, right? Because I think that's what some of us, I don't know, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes the word sales, I sort of would consider that a word that would align with the word pressure and nobody likes to feel pressured to do anything. So I really like that you address the fact that you can give yourself permission to say no. So you talk about how to build a sales process that converts consistently. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Absolutely. One of the challenges, and you may have been there, you've been in business for a while, Kelly, is that you know how it is. We do all the things, right? (laughs) We do all the things that we need to do to get clients. We get clients. We start working with said clients and we're having a blast because most of us don't like the sales process. So it's like, don't have to do that right now. Like I could pay all my bills and life is good. And then you wake up one day and you're like, crap, all of my clients are now leaving or a big chunk of them maybe, you know, phasing out of the program or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh. So now you find yourself in that cycle of feast or famine. And so what I teach is that let's build a process where you're having consistent conversations. So even when you do have a lot of clients, then it may be a good time to either hire a salesperson that's building or nurturing those relationships. Because even if you don't take clients in that moment, you can still start to nurture it. You can create wait lists. There are ways that you don't have to set yourself up for that moment of, yeah. <laughs> oh crap, where did all my money go? But I think that sometimes we don't think about it in our process. So one, looking at your numbers, understanding your numbers, but then also consistently bringing in leads and nurturing them and having those conversations. And conversation doesn't always equate phone conversations. It could be your email list or your email nurture campaign where you're still nurturing those relationships and getting to know people, but you don't want to then find yourself in that cycle where now I have to start from ground zero, say when I open the doors for my new program, because I've done nothing to get in front of new people or nurture relationships that I already have. And now it's that high pressured, if I don't make this work now, I'm in trouble kind of thing. And so building a process that really acknowledges that and addresses that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess really that looks a lot like you're delivering your services because now you've got your customers, but don't forget about the pipeline, keep nurturing. And so what does that look like to nurture somebody who may become your customer in the future? So one of the things that I like to think about is one, you know, really positioning yourself as a strategic ally. First of all, even acknowledge that there needs to be a pipeline. Sometimes I'm like, they're like, wait, what pipeline? Like, what is that? <laughs> yes, yes, we need a pipeline. Oil? Oil. <laughs> I'm not selling oil, Nadi. I don't need that. <laughs> yes, 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 you do. <laughs> and so one of the things that I teach is you have your customer journey roadmap where that's the first, you know, that entirety of the process. But then we also have the pipeline where you have people that are like raising their hands or expressing more interest. And that could look very different depending on how you, your business is built. 
it could look like when they apply, submit an application or questionnaire to schedule a call. That's usually when a lot of us are like, oh, someone's interested. It could also, though, if you're looking at like how people click your newsletter list behaviors and what they click on, what they're consuming, that sort of thing, you can start to score your leads and really start to see like, you know, some of these are people are a lot more engaged in this type of content that maybe they could be a great fit for, you know, working in our programs. So I think one, it's important to know that you need a pipeline, but then also start to understand the stages of your pipeline and how you want to move people through it, whether they're having actual sales conversations, whether they're attending webinars, or maybe you have an evergreen webinar and they're watching that and they're enrolling. Like there are a lot of different ways, but we need to put a process in place so that we can move people through. I love that you talked about scoring your leads, and I can only assume that that would require probably some software. Can you talk a little bit about how someone who's listening and isn't scoring their leads might get started with that? Absolutely. So one is thinking about the behaviors or the types of things that your ideal clients are interested in. And then looking at the systems, you know, there's automation that helps with that. So one of the things that we look at is what type of CRM are you using? Is it an Infusionsoft or is it an active campaign or are you using a Salesforce? Whatever that looks like. And then starting to really take the time because it takes time. And I think that's why a lot of us don't do it. It's like, I don't have time to think about this. But it's such gold when you start to say, you know what, if they click on this, especially, you know, if it's something that's really juicy that you know that your ideal clients need or want or, you know, it's going to make them a great fit. And you start to add scores to that so that you can start to really get to know your audience. You hear so much about build a list, build a list, build a list. People have a big list sometimes, but the lists aren't engaged. And so if you're really paying attention to the engagement of the list, you can start to create more content that is in alignment. That's why sometimes people will have a launch and it falls flat because they are so out of touch with their community or their list that they don't even really know what it is that they're looking for and how to best serve them. Yeah, and I think in a way, you know, sure, it takes time to set up a CRM and optimize it. Like, trust me, I've spent many days down that rabbit hole putting API codes and doing all kinds of things that I wouldn't have known how to do a few years ago. But when you think about that as a sales process, if you're like me and you don't like the idea of direct sales or direct sales calls, well, that's a good way to spend your time sort of optimizing the automation of things or at least the ability to score your leads, as you said. And it doesn't feel, at least you're kind of working behind the scenes on somewhat of a process. I mean, I don't think it feels salesy to do that. It doesn't for me anyway. So I love that you brought that up. Not only does it not feel salesy, but I think one of the things that we sometimes skip is qualifying our leads. So it's just like, talk to everyone or you can sell to everyone. It's like, no, you need to be clear because you're going into this conversation. You can say no. If Kelly isn't a good fit, I need to know that before I go into the conversation. Like, who is a good fit for me? And here are things that I'm looking for in this conversation as well as whatever she may be looking for before she says yes to working with me. It helps to increase your conversions because you're talking to more qualified people. They're more of a good fit. You've done your due diligence. And I think sometimes in our rush to just do things, like you said, we think that this is just a waste of time. It's taking too long. But when you're talking to more qualified leads, it builds your confidence because you're getting more of those yeses. You're talking to more people that you would love to work with. 
versus the tire kickers people. You're like, oh my gosh, how did this even happen to be a conversation? Like we are such a mismatch. And part of that is in that lead gen, lead qualification process that then before, especially if you're doing calls, that's a big chunk of your time that is best well spent talking to the most qualified leads. Yeah. And when you get started, you're casting your net really wide. So in doing that, of course, you're going to catch some fish that you don't want to work with or that don't want to work with you. And I'm happy that you brought that up too, because when I got first got started with building my list, whenever someone would unsubscribe, I would feel like, oh, why my feelings are so hurt? Now I welcome it because it's just like you said, it's just keeping your list clean and refined and relevant. And you don't want that dead weight on your list. So someone is actually doing you a gigantic favor by unsubscribing from your list. And it took me a little while to realize that. <laughs> totally. I was the same way. I'm like, oh my gosh, devastated. Yeah. That's why I was what like, you I know say? what? Don't give me the notifications. I don't want to know. I don't need that negative energy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Turn those notifications off, but also be thankful that people are unsubscribing because they're doing you a favor. And I mean, if nothing else, it costs a lot of money to maintain a certain number on your list. So it's helping keep the costs down too. It's another way to look at it. So, okay, we're going to nurture our leads. We're going to qualify them and score them. And what happens when we've made certain decisions about qualifying the lead? What do we do now? When you're qualifying the lead, I think we really, so I do encourage people. I know there are a lot of ways that we can close sales, but I also know that there's a lot of gold that you can get from having actual sales conversations. And so I invite people, especially at some point, especially in the beginning, I think, or even when you're making a shift in your business, shifting your audience or your offers to have sales conversations, because you get a lot of immediate feedback. But then the big thing is, okay, Nadia, I'm dealing with these sales conversations. So I encourage people to actually set a goal to get 100 no's, preferably in a short amount of time, 30 days, 45 days, 90 days, whatever that looks like, not 12 years, right? Like keep it short because what will happen is one, you're just talking to a lot of people. So it helps to take out the fear around what if this person says no, what if they say not now? Because you know, I have a whole lot more conversations coming in. But you get so much feedback around how you're saying it, where people may not quite understand the language you may be using. You also get a lot of yeses. So when clients do this, they never have yet to have a client call and say, you know what, Nadia, I got a hundred no's. I'm so devastated. They are always like, oh my gosh, I got all these yeses. I got all these new clients. I'm off to work with my clients. I'm so happy. And so it's really important to understand that. So I think as you're taking people through the process, you're having those conversations is to really think about your entire sales process. What happens after they say yes? What happens if they say no? Because no today doesn't mean no forever in some cases. So how are you going to continue to build on that relationship? And again, one of the easiest ways is just to have a newsletter. to so something that you're sending out and you're still building and you know nurturing. Of course, you're leveraging your technology, your systems, you can create customized content to really hone in on those different leads and different interests as you learn more about your list. But I think it's important that we really get to know people and not just rush. It's so funny. We're like, I just met you yesterday, whether it was online or wherever. And it's like tomorrow almost. 
let's enroll in my program. My program is $50,000. And you're like, seriously? Like, I just met you. And when you related to dating, I was like, I dated my husband four and a half years before we got married. Yeah, It wasn't our first date. And we were like, oh, yes, let's skip off to the honeymoon. But then also even thinking about that, some people got married sooner with dating relationships. Some people, it took longer. It's the same thing with your lead. Some people will say yes sooner. Some people, it will take longer. And so you just really need to create a process and a system that addresses all of that. Just focuses on relationship, continuing to nurture the relationship so that when they're ready, they remember you exist and that they like you and that then they can buy from you. Exactly. And at least if nothing else, you're top of mind if they come to a place where they're like, I can't not invest in solving this problem any longer. Who does this? And then you're top of mind. But I love the idea of talking to 100 people. I know, first of all, it sounds crazy overwhelming. I personally have never done it, but I can totally see the value of doing that because you're getting in front of your potential customers and you're hearing what they have to say. You're hearing the language that they use, how they describe their problems. But best of all, in a, I guess, sales call situation like that, you're hearing about their objections. I'll let you talk to this, but I think that that's like probably one of the most important things to identify in a sales process. Yep. So I have some interesting opinions on objections. <laughs> okay, good. It's just a terminology. Like overcoming objections, this really puts us in a place sometimes of going into the sales conversation of almost being in an adversarial type relationship, like I have to convince. And so I hear that a lot. I have to convince people to work with me. No, you don't. You get to talk to them, but people have questions. People have concerns. People have their own doubts and fears that come up that turn into what we call objections. And so, like you said, During the process, you can start to address those. One of the best ways is sharing stories, either sharing your own stories, stories of your own clients and how they've overcome them. Some of the top most common objections, time and money. So, you know, how do busy women or men deal with managing time and adding something else to their plate? Or how do you structure your program so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming? That's also some feedback that we can sometimes leverage. And But you can speak to that. You can say, you know, I know that my community, my ideal clients are busy. So my job isn't to make their lives more busy. It's to actually, that's why I structured the program in this way. So you're addressing that objection, but you're also showing them that you're listening, you're in tune to what they need. But I think sometimes if we just not get concerned or overwhelmed by the fact that people may have what I call clarifying questions, that it takes the fear out of dealing with objections. Because now we're like, okay, people have questions. If you're like me, I talk really fast when I get excited. And it's like, okay, Nadia, you said a whole lot of stuff and I don't remember half of it. Can you back up so I can write it all down? I think it's important to understand that. But then also, again, leveraging stories to help people see themselves, help them to understand how they can make the investment work or just get some different ideas to get their wheels spinning. Because like you said earlier, they're coming into that conversation with their own ideas around sales and sales conversations and what they might expect to happen during that process, because we all have had our own experiences. And so it's our job to help them relax, reassure them that this is not going to be like other experiences you may have had in the past, and then to just answer all of their questions so that they can make the right decision. Yes, absolutely. And to speak to, I'm sure, the value of whatever it is you're selling too, I remember learning once 
I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about this. I remember learning once that, yes, time and money are the two most common objections in any scenario. And let's say you have a program for $1,000 and typically you approach your prospect and say, well, I've got this program and it's $1,000 and they're like, whoa, I don't have that kind of money. But if you said, hey, I have this new Ferrari, it's $1,000, they'd grab their credit card real quick because they immediately know that that's really good value. If you're getting a new Ferrari for $1,000, like they're going to find the money. So the point though is that they have the money, they just need to believe that what they're about to spend it on is worth it. Can you speak a little bit to that? Absolutely. One of the things that we do sometimes when we're like, again, we get excited. So I think a lot of times it's our own excitement and sometimes our nerves where we get to the things that we get to do first without having their buy-in. So I'm like, you first have to answer that question. What's in it for me? Like you said, really helping them understand the value. That's why questions in a sales conversation is so important because you're helping to uncover what is valuable to them, what is important, and then being able to help them connect the dots and how your program is going to help them achieve those things. And I think it's important too for us to first talk about those, the benefits and how we do it is very different. Sometimes you'll see people do the value stack where they assign a dollar amount to all those different things that they're getting. So you can see here's the value and here's the actual investment. Those are great ways. I think like you said, if the Ferrari, some ways I like to do it is to break it down into it's a thousand dollars. So it equates to, I don't know, $3 a day or whatever that is. It's however you do it, depending on the actual program, I think it's important to really think about it. Some of your higher tickets, you may be like, well, what if my program's $30,000? Well, depending on what it is that you are offering, it may be this is far less than hiring like a full-time employee. So like you said, really finding out what those value equators may be so that you can then help them to see and illustrate the value because some people will get it right away, but not everyone will get it right away. And it's really important that we help them to see that But then also understand that a lot of times, depending on a higher ticket, it may take more than one conversation, not always. But we really need to think about sometimes people are like, whoa, okay, let me figure it out. Like, okay, I got to move some things around. So we really also have to build that into our process as well. So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. So you talk about the number one secret to relationship-driven sales. What is that secret? The number one secret is to position yourself as a strategic ally. People don't have very positive 
opinions of salespeople. And one of the things that I tell people all the time is it's really important that you put the relationship first. So many sales trainings are all about get the credit card, get the credit card, get the credit card. And I get it. We need revenue to build our businesses. But relationships are gold. And that relational currency is something that we often underestimate or undervalue as we're building our businesses. And so I've had people that have come back years later or have taken years and they're like, you know, now I'm ready. But it's also been that relationship building over time, either through my newsletters, through my snail mail, things that I send in the mail or whatever it is, where they're like, I feel comfortable and now I'm ready to move forward because I have such a big focus on relationship. I love that. And I think there's a really important life lesson in there too, because I don't know, I'm in a mastermind right now. And part of what we're doing in that mastermind is visualizing our future selves and thinking about what does our future self have to say to our present self. And for me, the theme that kept coming up was, that it's the people that matter. It's the relationships that matter. All the other stuff is just going to eventually be in a landfill anyway. So really, like nobody has ever laid on their deathbed and wished that they made more money. I don't think anyway. I think that most people lay on their deathbed and wish that they treated people better. So I think if nothing else, investing in relationships is never a waste. And if you don't get the sale, you got a friend or you built like a connection. And I think in my opinion, that's worth far more. Unfortunately, we do have to eventually get to the credit card or else we'll all be homeless or right. whatever. <laughs> so it's important. I wish it wasn't that way sometimes, but it is. But I think it's all to say that you can't go wrong when you're focusing on building relationships. Absolutely. And I tell people to build it into their process. And, you know, obviously, depending on what you do, you don't always have the time. You have to be really intentional, but also in strategic. So you can have your connection calls and connections, but then those sometimes do lead to sales calls or someone you may have a sales call with and it wasn't a good fit for them or it wasn't the right time, but they know someone and like, I just had this amazing conversation with Nadia. You need to talk to her because you definitely need this. And I know you can do it now based on your position. So I think sometimes, again, we have to think about it more holistically and not just be so focused on just that one thing. It's important. Like you said, no, we must be strategic and definitely efficient in getting there. But it's important to also think about the totality. totality That's a hard your, one. I know of your business, but then also those different relationships definitely pay off. Yeah. And like you just said, word of mouth, like, is it not still the most powerful the mechanism? Most, yes. Yes. And so many people have been able to build their businesses off referrals. And a lot of times when you're really good at helping your peers, like you said, your mastermind peers or even your former clients help you, did they know exactly who that person is? Again, they're helping to qualify those leads. And a lot of times you'll see that that's your higher conversions are there. Absolutely. So... How does a person overcome their fear of selling? Because I think this all sounds super great, but at the end of the day, each and every one of us are going to find ourselves like sweating with sweaty palms because we're faced with the fact that like it's do or die. So how do we overcome our fear of selling? Just do it. (laughs) Just dive in. Just dive in. But I think take the pressure off. I had a mentor that once told me to fail faster. And I was so annoyed when she said that. I was like, seriously, I am not about the whole failure thing. But there's so much 
power in not focusing so much on getting it perfect and just taking that action and having the conversation. One, you'll realize you won't die. Two, you'll get through it and just give yourself permission. You know what? The first three may be no's, but it's just giving me that practice. And the more you do it, that was like, you take the challenge, a hundred no's, just having those conversations, that consistent action, but having the systems in place where that actually happens. Because again, like you said, this sounds great in theory, but a lot of times people are like, Nadia, who the heck am I going to talk to? So you definitely need those systems in place where you can get the leads, get the conversations, but to be focused on that. Because sometimes we're focused on our social media strategies, (laughs) writing blogs, updating our website. That was me. Doing all these things are great, but they're not going to lead to sales conversations and they're not going to lead to revenue at the end of the day. Or it's going to take forever to do so and you'll probably be out of business by the time it works. So really taking the action. Yes, absolutely. Because there's no end to the activities that you can do that at least exist at the parameter of selling, right? Like we could all spend all day making a beautiful Instagram post and we can make our websites look fabulous. And we can probably spend a lot of time creating like, I don't know, automated newsletters or whatever. And there's no end to that. So how does a person sort of prioritize those activities? I think one of the things is Look at where you are in your different stages of business. So if you're starting out, the quickest way that you can start having conversations to really start to get people to say yes to you is where you need to spend a lot of your time. All of the other things will come, the website, the Instagram, the Facebook, all of that comes. But a lot of us are starting our businesses. We don't have a lot of money to float, right? It's like, I need to get in here and I need to make this work so I can start to generate cash flow. And so what are the things that it's going to take in order to start having those conversations? How do you get in front of people? And think about the strategies you want to leverage. Are you just going to do cold calls? Most of us don't like that. So just scratch that one, right? So how do you, (laughs) most of us are like, I would rather die than just cold calls. (laughs) But, you know, are you going to host webinars where you can get in front of people and invite them to conversations? Are you going to do a webinar swap or get in front of someone else's audience? So You need to think about what is the fastest way that I could get in front of my potential buyers so that A, they know you even exist and B, so that you can invite them into a conversation and whatever that strategy is, do that first so we can start getting those revenue generating activities. And then you either can hire someone to do your beautiful Instagram post and build your website. You're not having to do it yourself because you have the money to pay them to do it. I think that's most important. I agree. So you are the author of a book entitled Selling Like a Lady, Courage Diary Book. Can you talk a little bit about that book and what's inside? So the Courage Diary was birthed out of, oh my gosh, it was birthed out of my frustration with some of the sales training. So there's a companion book that's going to be released one day whenever I finish it. But the Courage Diary is actually more of a workbook. And it's designed to track your actual sales conversations. And it also asks some good questions like, where did the lead come from? So you can start to see like, where are my best lead sources? We have a lot of different options to generate leads, but we're not always tracking which ones are actually working. Another big piece, probably one of my favorites is what emotions came up for you during this conversation? Because sometimes our emotions, our own baggage, prevents us from being able to close sales sometimes. For example, I remember one of my triggers, if you will, was whenever someone said they couldn't afford it. If they use those exact words, I can't afford it, 
I started to mentally check out because it was just like, I don't know why I was like, you should think about how you can afford it or how you can make it work. If this, You know, like I have my own story, right? And when I started to notice that, I was like, you need to check back in because just because they're saying that doesn't mean they're not willing to figure it out. And maybe they really can't today, but that doesn't mean they won't figure it out and come back next week or next year or whatever. And again, it's your story, Nadia, and that has absolutely nothing to do with them. So get over yourself, right? So you start to track that. But the other piece for the Courage Diary is we can't control when our buyers buy. The only thing we can control is that we show up and invite them to work with us. And so the Courage Diary really is that celebration that you had the courage to take the action to invite them to work with you. And that's why we have the Courage Diary. I love that. I mean, we can all use as much, I guess, recognition and encouragement as possible. And so I love that. I love the title, The Courage Diary, because I think, especially when it comes to sales, we all need a little bit of that. Amazing. So you also have a free resource. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I have my Courageous Conversations That Convert Checklist. And it's designed to just help you look at those things that, you know, where are you stumbling in your sales conversations? Where do you feel like it's falling apart or not? Or if you're just new to this and you're like, I just need help to get started. It's a great resource to help you identify the things that will help your sales conversations a lot stronger, but then also help you build a courage and a confidence to have the conversations in the first place. So you're not hiding. You're like, oh, let me do this one more thing instead of getting on the phones and talking to people. I love that because I'm sure that when you get into it, probably when you're having sales calls, it's a lot of recurring subject matter, right? Like I'm sure the same things come up. And I think part of building confidence for having those calls is being prepared with your best answer, right? So I'm sure that your checklist is going to help people with that because there's not going to be any new talk. I mean, maybe there will be, but for the most part, it's going to be the same stuff, right? The same objections, the same fears, like all of the things. And so the more prepared you feel, it's kind of like a job interview. It is a job interview. A sales call is, right? Yep. That's all it is. And the more prepared you feel, the more confident you feel. And if you're coming off as more confident, if you are more confident, then I think, do you say, you manifest, <laughs> something manifests. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, people feel your confidence and they're like, oh, okay. My coach says that your confidence will sell more than your sales skills ever will because just people buy into that confidence. They're like, okay, she's cool. She's relaxed. She's not freaked out about whatever. All right, I think I'll take a chance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Nadia, I always like to finish off these episodes with like this one kind of actionable takeaway that listeners can, when they're finished listening to this, what is one thing that they can walk away and do to get that one step closer to 10xing their sales revenue? Mine is commit to taking imperfect action. It won't be perfect. Just do it. Just take the action. I love that. I recently came across a TikToker who name has left me, but she is a musician and also an entrepreneur. And I'm going to link it in the show notes because she created this little song that talks about how you have to suck at something before you get kind of good at it. And I oh. think that it's so good. I'll share it with you after the call because it, it gets stuck in your head and I'm sure you can share it with your clients too. It's really as simple as that. Like you got to suck at it in order to get good at it. So if you're not willing to go out there and kind of suck at it at first, then you're not willing to be good at it either. So I love that send away, take imperfect action because that's where 
everything starts. Thank you so much for giving us your time today, Dr. Nadia, and for generously sharing all of your tips and your free resource. I will link all of the ways to get in touch with you in the show notes along with where to find your book and your free download. Thank you again so much. Thanks for having me. I feel significantly less awkward about sales after having this conversation with Dr. Nadia. It really is about building and nurturing a genuine relationship with your customer. It is totally okay that your product or service isn't for everyone. So count those unsubscribes as a blessing that you can now focus your valuable attention on those who get the most value from what you have to offer. Investing in a relationship is never a waste of your time. In fact, I truly believe that relationships are the real currency in life, not money. Most people don't get married on the first date, and I hope this chat with Dr. Nadia helps you feel more confident on your first date, I'm using air quotes, with a potential customer. Maybe that person will like you so much that they are willing to go on another date and another and another and, well, you get the point. Until next time, Workshop Warrior, thank you so much for joining me for yet another episode and I will be in your earbuds or your car speakers or your Google Mini next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you workshop warrior you.